Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the meaning and the traits and characteristics associated with the zodiac sign Taurus. So joining me today is Mo and Pal from the Fixed Astrology Podcast. Uh, welcome. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm really happy and excited. I wanted to have you both on the podcast for a while now. You two have been doing your own podcast, and you've been going uh, decan by decan through the signs of the Zodiac for over a year now, right? Yes, we have. We started with the Aquarius decans because, you know, why does Aries always have to go first? Anyway, right? So right. we started that in early 2021 and just re recently wrapped it up. And now we're on a series about the planetary joys, actually. Nice. I love it. Um, so today, this is the second installment in my series where last year I did a whole series on the planets that started kind of randomly with an episode on the moon that I wasn't sure about doing, but it went so well that I decided to do that series. And now I'm going through each of the signs of the zodiac and just doing a full two-hour discussion where we go as deep into the meaning of each of the signs as possible. And part of my approach for doing that is to find astrologers that have that sign prominent in their chart in some way. And so you two actually both have uh, some Taurus placements in your chart, right? Yeah, that's right. What's funny is that when we started our podcast, we were bonding over being fixed signs. Right. So um, I guess this is a good segue into sharing our placements. But um, so I'm a Taurus sun um, and south node. So those of you who don't know me, um, I go by Austral Tour on um, Twitter and everywhere. So you know, being a Taurus is a huge part of my branding as an astrologer, which is pretty funny. Nice. Do you do you mind if I show your chart? Of course, go for it. All right, here it is. So you have Pisces rising and the sun in Taurus in the third whole sign house and the moon up in Sagittarius in the 10th whole sign house. Yeah. Um, funny story is that I'm also a Taurus in um, Sidereal, so I consider myself very much a Taurus. So Nice. There's yeah. no questions. No questions there. <laughs> so did Taurus always, did, did it always resonate with you? Like even when you only knew sun signs or um, like how, how was that for you? I feel like I've always had a complicated relationship with being Taurus because mm -hmm. a lot of the keywords center around being materialistic or gluttonous. And, you know, I've been someone who has had complicated relationships with money and material things, but also, um, food, but I think that um, learning to become more embodied as a person has made me realize how important the archetype is to me as a person. So yeah, it's something I've grown into for sure. That makes sense. Um, all right. And yeah, okay. Well, well I want to come back to that. But and then Pow, do you mind if I share your chart? No, not at all. Go for it. All right. Here it is. So you actually have uh, Taurus rising and the moon and Taurus in the night chart. Yes. Yes. Nice. And, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, <laughs> I didn't learn that I was a Taurus moon or rising until I was an adult. I, in terms of my just brief background in astrology, I learned about astrology when I was a kid. Like my mom was always super into it. And so I, I've always known I was a Leo. And as I got older, I didn't feel like I connected with Leo as much because I was such an introverted teenager. And then when I found out I was a Taurus moon and rising, there were parts of it that just made more sense to me. 
But then there were also parts like Mo said where, oh, I, you know, I'm not very materialistic. So and gluttonous. Well, maybe a little bit gluttonous. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that brings up two really important points that I think we touched on very briefly in the last episode, which is just that it's complicated because, you know, we are a combination of a bunch of different planets and different signs and different houses and different aspects in our birth charts that make up the totality of our personality. So on one hand, it's hard. And early in our studies in astrology, we kind of learn not to just try to boil everything down to one sign, that it's more complicated than that. Um, but then at the same time, sometimes when somebody has like a huge predominance or, or specific predominance of a certain sign, that really does come out in some very striking ways in a person's life. Yeah, um, certainly. And for me, I think some of the complication comes from like the natural house associations, because I feel like there's this strong association between Taurus and material and resources. And I think that to some extent, while that's true, I find that there's like a limitation of understanding the Turian archetype that comes about when we approach astrology that way. Yeah, for sure. By just equating it with the second house and then taking all second house significations and applying it to Taurus when the Taurus archetype is a, a lot more dynamic and, and multivalent and nuanced than that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, well, why don't we start by showing, I have a little graphic that Paula Bellomini made us that just shows some of the basic qualities of Taurus. So I should show also the, from our Zodiac Wheel poster, um, this is the signs of the zodiac. We already covered Aries, which which is the first sign that in the tropical zodiac fall, follows after the spring equinox. Um, then we move into Taurus, the second sign, which, using some of the traditional associations, is said to be either a feminine or a nocturnal sign. It's a fixed sign in terms of cardinal fixed mutable and the modalities. And then it is an earth sign in terms of the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water, and it's ruled by the planet Venus. So that's all the basic stats. And then there's also some other things in terms of it being the domicile or the sign ruled by Venus. It's also the sign that is said to be the exaltation of the moon or the, the sign where the moon is raised up in some sense. And then finally, it's said to traditionally be the sign of the detriment of Mars because it's opposite to one of Mars's ruling signs, which is Scorpio. Uh, and there's the glyph at the very top, which is like a circle with two horns on top, which kind of represents the bull, which is the um, animal sort of symbol or totem for, for Taurus. All right, um, where should we start in terms of the meaning of Taurus and what I mean, what, one of the things that might be good and that I often think about is the contrast where there's almost like this sort of corrective quality that happens when you move from one side of the zodiac in order to the next. You see um, a number of qualities that were in the previous sign get counterbalanced in some ways. And so the sign before this that we did was Aries. And one of the things about Aries that we talked about a lot was just notions because of its associations with Mars and fire and being a cardinal sign of it being very quick and very fast and very speedy. And then with Taurus, we move into a fixed 
um, Earth sign ruled by Venus, and things it seemed like slow down a little bit and start taking a much more sort of deliberate quality that's not as um, impulsive or not as impetuous as Aries. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. I was just listening to the Aries episode with Rick Levine, where you all were talking, you know, Aries is very much the early bird gets the worm, mm-hmm. whereas Taurus is a lot more cautious about that. I think it has a lot to do with being an earth sign as well as a fixed sign. And, you know, even for me personally, I, I have both. I have I have, a, I have Jupiter and Aries in the 12th house, but I also have this moon and this rising sign in Taurus. And so I can very much be like, like even in my present life right now, in the matter of six months, I quit my job, started job hunting, found a new job, and then moved to New York City from Hawaii all in a really short time frame. But now I could feel like my Taurus placements, especially with this current eclipse right now, just screaming at me to like slow down and like take a breath. So Mm -hmm. there is definitely like a cautiousness. And I do think we could really break down even just looking at the fact that Taurus is an earth sign that is Venus ruled and the moon exalts there that can really help us break down like why, why is there such a slowness associated with Taurus? Yeah, no, I, I really love that you said that. And I, Ever since we did our uh, decanic dive through the Zodiac, I really think about um, the decanic journey through each sign. And I feel like if you think about the decans of Aries, it's like, you know, the burning down and repopulating. And then Taurus is Taurus and its decans are all about what do we do now that we've like sort of established a new thing? We have to maintain it. We have to cultivate it. And I feel like that um, element of cultivation is very huge. And, you know, like Pow, I'm someone who has Taurus placements, but, you know, they're answering to an Aries Venus. So it's just very much like opposite day. It's like, I have all these initiatory qualities, but it's always geared towards things that are going to be, I guess, sort of established for like the long term. And so I definitely feel that, um, I feel like this eclipse cycle for me has just been about like, okay, I did all this initiating of, you know, establishing myself in terms of like an online space and, you know, communicating with people and getting comfortable sharing what I know, but it's just hard to get over the inertia. So compared to Aries, Taurus is very inert. And I feel like, um, it's nice to do like a compare contrast, like between, you know, the sign before, but also the sign after, so Taurus is that nice space where it's like, okay, we started things and we have to maintain this now before we can think about other things when we finally move on to, you know, the narratives associated with Gemini. Um, yeah. That's a really good point. So so part of that is just situating it, especially in the tropical zodiac, where it falls in the season. And I should mention that because one of the highlights or one of the features of this series is that I'm trying to record each episode during the sun season of each of the respective signs. So today we're recording this on Saturday, May 7th, 2022. We started like 13 minutes ago, so probably at like 12, uh, 23 or so p.m. here in Denver, Colorado, and the sun is at 17 degrees of Taurus. And in the tropical zodiac, um, part of the notion of fixed signs and especially Taurus is that it falls right in the middle of the season. So there's a sense of things being more stable or a sense of, of permanence, you know, to whatever extent there can be permanence of anything. We find it more in the fixed signs because they fall in that space in the seasons where 
things are not changing as much. So in the cardinal sign of Aries, for example, when the days start growing longer in the northern hemisphere and plants start growing and everything starts coming out again at the beginning of spring, things are still in a state of transition and, and changing and moving and initiating in some sense. But by the time we get to Taurus, if you just like look around, it's like everything is out in full bloom and we're more much more solidly in that one season of spring at this point in time in the year, rather than still in some sort of transitional state where it's either moving into spring and out of winter and there's still a sort of crossover where sometimes it's still snowing or you know being weird or towards the end of the season it starts once we get to gemini season it'll start transitioning into the summer and it'll start getting really hot in the northern hemisphere and it's clear that you're you're sort of moving away from spring even though you're still at the tail end of it but with taurus because it's right in the middle we have some of those keywords that have to do with like um solidness and permanence yeah, I, I'm glad you said that. I, I do think that all of the fixed signs have some element of assessment in them. And I've just really noticed that when we were as we were doing that Deccan series, every time we went into the Deccans of the fixed signs, there's just some element of looking back and at looking at the present and looking forward and just having to assess all of that in order to decide what your next steps are going to be. I thought another thing that stood out to me with your Aries episode is you all talked about the hero's journey um, and really seeing that in Aries. I actually would argue that you could see that in all of the fire signs and especially when you do look at the Deccan breakdown, whereas with the earth signs, I, I would say that each one of them has some level of contingency planning in it. And it really is about first assessing how well resourced are you to even, you know, begin some kind of grand project and um, so, yeah, I think very much you see that in Taurus, like when you look at all three decans where, you know, the first one's the Lord of Worry, where you see, you know, in the Rider Waite artwork, you see two people who are look destitute outside of a church. And then the middle decans, the Lord of Success, it's someone who has resources, who's giving them over to people who aren't as well-resourced. And then the Lord of Failure, because their failure is just inevitable when you're doing any kind of endeavor about how do you learn from these things how do you plan ahead so you don't fail any uh, fail again yeah that makes sense um and i i put out a poll like i did for the aries episode where i just asked people on twitter what keywords do you associate with the sign of taurus and one of the big groups that's kind of related to the subtopic that we're talking about now where we get a lot of those keywords from that or clusters of keywords from that archetype is um, having to do with like like growth and the fixed and earthy qualities of that. So some of the keywords are things like slow growth, resistance sometimes to change, slow to let go, um, sometimes inflexible, um, endurance, sustainable, durable, uh, but also sometimes stagnant or digging one's heels in, working on one's own time, following through, inertia, slowness, enduringness, persistence, being sustained, strong, steadfast, um, relaxed, hearty, sometimes monotonous, sometimes lazy, but also plodding. So it's like I feel like a whole bunch of whole cluster of those sort of standard Taurus keywords come from the notion of it being like a fixed sign and an earth sign that falls right in the middle of the season. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, for anyone who's ever tried to dig a hole, right? It sucks. Like you're trying to move earth is this very, very difficult. And so I'm not that at all surprised all those words were associated with Taurus, this fixed earth sign. Yeah, but if you take it back to the fact that um the moon and the moon exalts here and um Venus's um it's Venus's preferred domicile for those who've forgotten. because um, I know there's a tendency to associate Venusian qualities with Libra just because of the connotations of beauty and relating to other people. But I think there's a quality of you know, the two arguably more consistently feminine planets having their um, dignity being expressed in the sign says something about the nurturing quality of Taurus. And you kind of need a consistent, dependable, um, supportive environment in order for, you know, whether it's plants or people to um, flourish. And so I feel like that's a quality of Taurus where some of those like consistent, dependent, um, metaphors do uh play very well yeah that's a really good point we you know i had mentioned that we're currently in a series about the planetary joys on our podcast and we were actually referencing a article that you had written about the joys and where they could possibly come from and it really stands out to me that you know according to the, the research you had done the angular triad that's associated with earth triplicity um, is the houses that, um, you know, surround the fourth house. And so the, you know, the moon joys in the third house and then Venus joys in the fifth house. And these are the day and night triplicity rulers of earth signs. But what I especially find fascinating is that Taurus, I believe, is the only sign where um, both the day and the night triplicity ruler do really, really well. They're domiciled and exalted respectively in Taurus. That's a really good point. Um, let me find, I have a diagram from my paper just to show people what you're talking about in the video version. So this is just the triplicity rulers um, and showing that they're connected to the planetary joys and the two planets that rule the earth triplicity are, are primarily the moon and Venus and they have their joys in the third and fifth house which is down at the bottom part of the chart in the sequence of three signs um, associated with the fourth house, which in ancient astrology was called under the earth or the subterraneous place. And so that's why we get earth associations with those specific signs ruled by the moon and Venus, which are Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. Um, and that might actually be one of the things we started to do in the last episode was sometimes it's useful to contrast um, different signs with other signs that share similar qualities in order to get a sense of, of the different expressions or representations. So um, Taurus is an earth sign, but also Virgo is an earth sign and Capricorn is an earth sign. So one of the questions is what then sets Taurus apart? And part of it is that it's a, it's a fixed sign, so it's the only fixed sign of the three earth signs. So there's a little bit of a sense of a greater quality of um, stability and fixidity with Taurus that you don't always get with the other Earth signs, even though they also have that tendency towards um, seeking a sort of stability and support and things of that nature. Yeah, um, I love that we're talking about uh, like what sets Taurus apart from the other two Earth signs because I notice that there's often a conflation of fixidity with Earth, and I feel like those are two different things. Um, fixidity has more to do with 
just wanting to maintain or um, create something enduring or like, um, it's just kind of like, if you think about the modalities as kind of like their own sort of, I guess, angular triad, it's just, you have the cardinal doing the initiatory action. You have the fixed principle doing the maintaining, cultivating, um, maybe perfecting in a way. And then you have the, uh, mutable quality, just deciding if, you know, if you want to stay with the thing you've created or if you want to move into some initiatory action. So like, there's like sort of a transition that's implied with the mutability. And I feel like, um, I feel like there are certain elements of Taurus and Capricorn that are quite similar because, you know, Capricorn has that Saturn rulership and, you know, cause of the slowness and consolidating nature of Saturn. Like there's a lot of overlap with some of the Turian significations, especially if people are thinking about it from the natural house, sort of maybe somewhat capitalistic point of view that both are signs that are concerned with maintaining resources or having some kind of um, material achievement. But I think that there's more of an initiatory uh, quality to Capricorn where they're looking to um, initiate or build the foundation for something that will be enduring, but there's always still that like initiatory quality. Whereas Taurus is not necessarily interested in starting something new per se, but just like, you know, enhancing what they have already. Yeah. That's a really great point. So Capricorn is more almost like ambitious, like amb ambition, being what that, um, cardinal initiatory thing leads to is like trying to climb, a ladder and, and go up as high as possible, whereas Taurus has a tendency more to want to maintain the status quo for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Like with Virgo, um, because I feel like there's the there's a difficulty with understanding like a Mercury ruled sign and like a mutable sign as like having earthly qualities. I just think it's the constant like refinement of whatever, um, I guess, medium you're working with. I feel like I see that with Virgo and like, there is some of that with Taurus, like the interest in refinement, but I think just the Venus rulership, it's more about, um, like how that experience feels to you versus like what could maximize whatever quality. Cause I don't think Taurus is necessarily like looking for like the maximum of something or like interested in playing with like different permutations of a situation. They just know what feels good or what, um, like maybe sensations or, um, materials like look good together, feel good together. Or like, I actually find like with Taurus placements, it's more about like what's comfortable or feels good to them rather than like maybe like this more idealized um, form of beauty. Like I'm thinking of Venus's um, fall in Virgo, for example, like just striving for this experience that might be hard to capture. Yeah, um, I think that ties, like it just makes me, it brings me back again to the fact that Venus is domiciled in Taurus and then the moon is exalted there. When I think about just the moon, right? The moon, yeah, it's our emotions, but it is, it's our bodies. It's our physical bodies and it's what restores us and re-energizes us. And 
I feel like there can be a lot of overlap between what the moon likes and what Venus likes. And so, um, yeah, so when I think, I I think you're absolutely right. I think there can be like that focus with Taurus around what's going to, what's going to feel good for me. Like what's, what do I need to do so I could like bring like the most to the table, right? Um, I think the other thing too that distinguishes Taurus a bit from Capricorn and Virgo is because it's a Venus ruled sign, even though it's an earth sign and it doesn't have those same social, um, you know, associations as Libra does, it's still Venus, right? Like Venus is still about bringing people together. It's still socializing. It's still diplomacy. And so I, I, I'm not surprised when I see a lot of tourist placements in folks who are community organizers, myself included. That makes sense. Um, so going back to, I mean, a lot of that contrast, then it seems like that's coming up with a Virgo being a Mercury ruled sign versus Taurus is sometimes things like Mercury and, and Virgo in particular gets into like the details as, and is focused on details and specifics and also things like almost like mathematics and like whether things add up, you know, on paper in terms of the numbers and in terms of discrete mathematical qualities. Um, versus for Taurus ruled by Venus, it's much more about things like aesthetics and and the difference between if something is aesthetically pleasing or if something is supportive in terms of um, the senses. And the five senses seem to be super important to Taurus, especially the senses of like you know taste, touch, smell, um, even sight, and even hearing to some extent. So, and I think maybe that could be tied in with um, you bringing up the exaltation of the moon, having its exaltation in the sign of Taurus. And one of the primary fundamental significations of the moon in ancient astrology was the body. So, um, you know, the idea of Taurus being connected with the body and having this more sense based component that has to do with the five senses that are, are all physical extensions of our body and is how we experience things in the world through the physical senses. I think that says a lot about a lot of the underlying meaning of Taurus and why that would be different from, let's say, Mercury and Virgo, which tends to be more um, mathematical or more abstract in, in a way that's not, not quite focused on those sense sensations as much. Yeah, no, that's a very good point because that also makes me think about um, Capricorn and its relationship to the moon um, and how the moon is uh, in detriment or exile there and how when I think of the axis that Capricorn and Cancer are on, it's like two different ways of achieving comfort or security. And I feel like, how do I put this? It's like Taurus has the right... um, it has that nice, um, it has, the, it's not so dry that it's an- antithetical to what the moon wants to accomplish, but, um, Capricorn maybe has this dryness and this Saturnian focus of protecting against, um, threats and like putting yourself in challenging situations to achieve security that maybe seems not constructive to what the moon would like to do in maybe cancer or, can do very well in Taurus. Yeah, that's a really good point. That um, in the in the Stoic qualities, uh, the original Stoic qualities of the signs of the zodiac, that all of the Earth signs are dry, 
and that's opposite to all of the water signs, which are said to be wet. And so that's part of the dynamic between earth signs opposing water signs in the 12 signs of the zodiac. Um, but if you were to do a sort of ranking there in terms of which signs are, let's say, the driest of the three earth signs, I think maybe it would end up being something like Capricorn ruled by Saturn would be like the driest, then Virgo, and then Taurus, because Taurus being ruled by Venus and having the exaltation of the moon has this softness to it that um, is not as harsh or not as extreme in terms of the earth quality as those other two signs, earth signs get progressively. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. So that's bringing up a bunch of keywords. So we've touched on one that just has to do with the speed of things and the sort of slowness or fixed quality of Taurus. Um, but other ones that we've started to get into have to do with um, the more material qualities of it. One of the ones that comes up that I always think is interesting is there seems to be a real um, natural component to Taurus of, of all of the signs. It's one of the ones that seems to be most connected with um, nature and things like agriculture or plants or gardening, um, cultivating, and different things like that. Um, I want to say it's not that there are other signs that are not like that, but Taurus, that definitely seems to be a notable component, the sort of natural uh, side of Taurus. Yeah, I think some I, of. Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Mom. You go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say real quick. Some of that definitely comes from the the season, right? Like Taurus's association with spring, and you know the flowers are coming out. Actually, right here, right now in New York, it's raining, but that means like, I know that coming out of this rain, it's going to be super, super green out. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, I was just walking around my neighborhood, and like all of the tulips are just like in full bloom right now, right in the middle of spring, and. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I mean, that's a really great image and of itself to think about Taurus as a Venus ruled sign and Venus being sort of the sign of of beauty or the, the archetype of beauty in some sense. But um, seeing beauty in nature in particular in the spring season is definitely in the middle of the spring season when some of that comes out the most just in terms of all the flowers being in full bloom. Yeah, another thing that I noticed is, um, at least I've noticed ever since moving up to Toronto, because um, I'm from Texas originally, uh, you know, it's spring when, you know, the robins are out and like you see their eggs and everything. I also just think of fecundity and like the fact that it's during this time that a lot of animals are either coming out of hibernation or they're coming back from migrating and they're coming to mate. And so I think that like reproductive sense like and that like that net like the cycles of nature type thing that's something that i think about with taurus as well yeah and just being a sign in which there for things to grow that things are more able to grow and develop and for new life to find like a nurturing uh, nurturing environment in which it could flourish yeah i also love the naturalistic um significations because this is a nice contrast that taurus has to libra that i kind of mentioned earlier because they're the two um venus ruled signs and i'm just thinking about that contrast between maybe um earth and air so air is more like abstract like idealized like these are the like i guess the principles like i think of like aristotle's like perfect forms 
and stuff. Right. When I think of Libra and Venus. I was thinking of like Libra is like the person that would like to go to an art gallery, which is whereas Taurus would be the person that wants to like go out and walk through like a bot botanical garden and see the beauty of nature. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's good. It's like the the sculptures versus like the the arboretum or the botanical garden. Like that's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, let me see. So other significations that were in this cluster of like naturalistic ones. Um, cultivating people with a green thumb, feelings of like rootedness, flowers, nature loving, agriculture, husbandry, soil, the notion of something being organic, like Taurus seems like one of the most organic signs, and that could be connected also with other concepts like, you know, the locally grown food or the farm to table movement of like, you know, uh, businesses or restaurants trying to source ingredients locally and different qualities like that, like just the notion of things being organic. And um, I, I always think it's funny how many people with like super, a lot of tourist placements just enjoy gardening and enjoy being out in the soil and like working with plants and helping to nurture or grow plants in some form or another. Yeah. Like one thing that I think of, and I'm thinking, I'm wondering if this is a consequence of uh, Uranus's movement through Taurus, because I feel like it's giving us like a a seven year um, crash course on what does it mean to revisit or rethink Turian principles. And something that I've been thinking is how during parts of the pandemic, people were rediscovering, um, I guess, how to have more of like that intimate relationship with the things that they're consuming. So it's like, I want to plant the things that I need to make maybe my salad or um, learn the process of making bread, like which was a fun thing that people were learning to do. And I feel like that having that relationship of uh, maybe farm to table or garden to table is something that we are revisiting because we're being forced to by, um, you know, some of the movement of Uranus through Taurus. So I definitely see that as a thing. Oh my God. I'm thinking like I, I, every pandemic hobby that I could think of in my head, I feel like I could associate with Uranus and Taurus because yeah, people getting into plants and succulents and gardening, even just walking outside and going on walks and enjoying parks. Like this was a big boom for local parks. Like I'd never had seen them so busy before until the pandemic. Yeah. Or like baking bread or like people were doing like arts and crafts and like stuff like that. Um, yeah, there was, there was a ton of stuff like that during the pandemic. And then one of the things we have also noticed is it's been, there's been, um, since it's Uranus, there's a lot of like technology being brought to bear on the idea of food and like the idea of technological advancements and pushing food and the consummation of food forward. And one of the major changes and like revolutions that's happening really rapidly over the past few years is just, um, different types of artificial meats like coming onto the market and that being a new thing that's really has the potential of like changing a very major thing in terms of food worldwide is just um yeah uh, you know plant-based foods and things like that or substitutions for meat uh has been an interesting develop development lately yeah another thing i'm thinking of is i've been seeing all these contraptions on social media that um allow people who live in like apartments or in places that don't get a lot of light to actually start growing their own 
um, food and things like that. So these weird, like light sort of contraptions or these, um, I guess I wish I had the, um, Twitter link. I think I bookmarked it somewhere, but it was really interesting because, you know, as someone who recently relocated to an apartment where I no longer have a garden, I was just like, oh, I used to grow all these herbs like mint and catnip and all this other stuff, but now I can't. And I think, you know, like having these like new ways of potentially growing food, even though like a lot of us don't necessarily have access to a plot of land where we can do that, um, has also been a thing on top of, you know, having these alternatives for, uh, meat. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, are there any chart examples that come to mind that you would either of you had written down that would be relevant here at this point? Like I'm trying to look through our list. There may not necessarily be, but I'm just trying to think of if there's any that are, are relevant in terms of some of this. Ooh, in terms of the gardening, I can't think off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't have a lot of famous gardeners in my list for some reason. I don't think I know um, any famous gardeners, period. So there's that. Right. Um, all right, that's okay. So one of the... Let me go back to my keyword list for Taurus here and just pull up another group of keywords that I wanted to make sure that we focused on and mentioned. Um, we've talked about food, cooking, chefs, aesthetics, a little bit, art and beauty, which we'll come back to. Um, some of the other keywords that came in on Twitter were things like material, luscious, sumptuous, comfort-seeking, sometimes excess. Um, lush, lux luxurious, or luxuriating, um, soft, comfort, simple pleasures, pleasure-seeking. Um, and actually, let's stop right there, because that actually reminds me of one. One of the qualities I sometimes notice with Taurus placements or that I associate it with is this um, underlying sense sometimes that once they've found something that they like or something that they really enjoy, that they want to do that thing over and over again and not necessarily venture outside of doing that because sometimes when you um, try something new, you might end up not liking it and then not having a bad time, like let's say food or something like that, for example, and trying something new. But if you hated it, then they'll be thinking the entire time like they could have instead had that one thing that they really like. And so sometimes that causes them to not venture outside of you know, their own comfort zone because they just get so much pleasure in enjoying the things that are familiar to them and that are comfortable to them that that's really where they thrive the most. But that can be a really good good thing just in terms of a manner of being. But then also sometimes some of the drawback can be just a, a reluctance sometimes to reach outside and to explore the unknown. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. I, I, I've lived here now in New York for a little less than two months and I'm in one of the world's biggest cities and I probably go to this, I could count on one hand, the same restaurants in my neighborhood I've been going to and ordering the exact same thing. Like I tweeted about it saying like, oh my God, I think like this pizzeria and this person at the, who sells me the empanadas like are just seeing me every day now. <laughs> like, right. Yes. But I can definitely relate to that. Um, yeah, I 
I think some of the luxuriousness and the the materialism that gets associated again, it goes back to just like okay, Venus is domiciled there, and then the moon is exalted there, and I do think that you know the moon is really about like what's going to restore us and rejuvenate our bodies. There's just some sometimes it, it, I think it's just not there's so much of that so that's just going to overlap with some Venus things. But I think with every Taurus placement, it's going to be slightly different, like. Yeah, some of us will get rejuvenated by treat yourself days where we're hanging out at the spa and getting our nails done. For other tourist placements, I might be working out at the gym or other tourist placements, it might be, you know, making a spreadsheet. I mean, those are all these are all real life examples for myself, <laughs> things that like really like restore me. But. Yeah, no, um, pal, what's funny is that when you were saying, yeah, like I go to the same like few restaurants and I order the same thing. I was like, you're fixed. Like Stellium is screaming at me. Um, <laughs> because I don't know. I feel like even though I do have an Aries Venus ruling my Taurus, um, I do need variety. It's like a weird cyclical thing. It's like, for example, I'm one of those people who once I find like maybe five or six songs, I'll just listen to those on repeat because I don't want to hear anything else. <laughs> And they just get me in the mood and they allow me to, I guess, like, cause I like listening to music when I work. So it's like, these get me in a mood where I can work and I just need to listen to these songs on this playlist and on repeat until I get sick of it. And I kind of have the same thing with food, but it's more like the way I'll achieve the Venus variety, like the Venus and Aries variety is I want to have the same dish just at a different restaurant. Right. Nice. that's I how like I that. do it that's how I do it because it's like oh like I'll go to it's like oh I've never been to this restaurant before and even though like all the stuff on the menu looks enticing it's just like I already know what I like right. I just want to see how you do it to see if I'll like it <laughs> I like that um, yeah. so yeah so it's like that quality of that general idea of of repeating the things that they like and the likes being well, very well established and, and well defined. Um, that can, like you were saying, it, it can be food, but it can also be music. It can be that can show up in a number of different areas in a person's life. Um, I my sister's birthday was yesterday, and she was a Taurus Sun and Mercury. And I just remember when we were growing up, like she had certain movies that she would just like watch over and over again that were her favorite movies of like Disney movies, like Little Mermaid or something like that just on repeat and you'd think that like at a certain point you would just like stop wanting to do the same thing over again but no i mean there's not necessarily a limit because that which is um you know been established as something that you like or that's enjoyable um being able to to find contentment by sitting with that sort of endlessly or or on repeat uh, um you know there's there's not necessarily an end to that enjoyment per se yeah, no, it's funny because um, my sister is also a Taurus, that she's like a first deck in Taurus, and she is a Taurus Mercury as well, but she has a Gemini Venus. And ironically, like, I feel like it's also because she's a very cardinal chart. Like, she has more of a need for variety than I do because I'm more of a mutable chart. But mm -hmm. um, it's interesting how still, like, both of us have, like, the same, like, I guess hobbies on rotation that we, like both cycle back to and it's interesting like watching how her as a first deck in Taurus is versus me as a last deck in Taurus is you know and I feel like for me I'm a lot more 
I don't want to say conservative, but there's definitely, um, just because of the subtle Saturnian influence, there's like a more of this, like, I guess, need to indulge in the same things because I know that they will just never disappoint. Right. Whereas for her, there's like, I feel like because there's more of that mercurial, like, influence, there's like, uh, but what if I like something else that's just kind of like working for her? Yeah. 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 Because Mercury, Mercury rules both two mutable signs, Gemini and, and, um, Virgo. And it does have that quality, almost like a, like a bee or something of like going around to many different things and finding enjoyment in, in variety to some extent. And that being, you know, a source of, of strength or drawing things by like trying out new things. Um, but yeah, Taurus is a little bit the opposite when it comes to that. And I think that's, an, you know, we've been comparing the difference between Taurus and Libra because of the cardinal and the air of Libra. I, I have a lot of my girlfriends are Libra placements, whether it's Libra suns or Libra risings. And it's just funny to see that how much they gravitate more toward variety in, yes, in food, in fashion, Um even when it comes to, you know, growing up, right, you know, it's my Libra friends who would have a crush on everyone. And it's like all different types of people, right? Whereas, you know, me with these really strong tourist placements are like, no, I'm probably going to end up liking the same person for like 10 plus years. <laughs> it's going right. to be the same type of person. <laughs> the same different variations of the same person. Yeah. yeah, that's something I've had to come to terms with recently because I'm like, yeah, my Aries Venus likes variety, but nope, I have a type apparently. And it's just like, I feel like, again, like growing up, it's just been like, wow, the fixidity is so strong and I just didn't realize it. <laughs> it's just been staring me in the face. I mean, that's an interesting underlying concept then of like, because we all know that idea of like having a type or or when somebody has a very defined like type, like what they like in relationships, but that that could be applied to different categories in a person's life. And it's kind of like doing the same thing when it comes to other um, things of like subjective appreciation of just like having a type and knowing what your type is and there being a strength to that in some ways of like knowing like what you like and having that sort of predefined that that can be a strength just as much as as a limitation let's say yeah um i think also that you know like just to talk about um i guess i do want to contrast like taurus with gemini a little bit because it's um i remember having a reading with amaya rourke and it, it it's just stuck in my brain where she told me that having Taurus placements or like going through um, the Taurus archetype is like establishing things. And then you can think of Gemini as like evolution because it's like, okay, we have the thing already. What happens if you, um, you know, change this condition a bit or change that condition a bit. And like, I feel like it's just getting us, um, it's almost like Unfortunately, we have to go through like selective pressure and then it's through Gemini that we have to get the, okay, it's time to adapt. We can't do like the same thing because, you know, as much as we would like the illusion of stability, and I think this is a lesson for all fixed signs, not just Taurus, because, um, you know, a lot of these traits of Taurus that we've discussed definitely apply to fixed signs because I have so many fixed signs in my life. Um, and but I feel like it's that Taurus Gemini transition where the need to adapt after doing the same thing for so long becomes more apparent. Yeah, that makes sense. So the corrective quality of Gemini that follows after Taurus is just teaching you about 
you know, variety sometimes being a good thing or, or it's okay not to let go super in depth and stay with one thing. It's okay to do not, not, not a shallow is not the right word, but a, but somewhat more shallow or whatever the other keyword is for that, you know, take to social things or to trying new things or, or to learning new things or what have you, that you don't have to stick with just one thing permanently for the entirety of your life. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, let me bring this back up because I don't know if I got through all of the significations in that last cluster. Where did I stop? Like somewhere around here, simple pleasures, pleasure seeking. I mean, yeah, I've been getting reacquainted with that over the past several months. And it's like somebody with Taurus really reminded me of the simple pleasures of sensory things and the appreciation for that that sometimes other signs lack, um, I think is really important and is something that stands out about Taurus in the full embodiment and enjoyment of things that have to do with the senses and that being an important part of life sometimes. It's one of the things I think Taurus um, does the best at maybe amongst many of the signs and really giving you an appreciation of. Yeah, I, I when I was looking at the notes and reading the keywords, I think somewhere else down that list is someone someone wrote basic, <laughs> and you do see that a lot in memes about Taurus <laughs> is that we're very basic, and there I think it does go back to the simple pleasures and. Yeah, like I do like basic things like wearing leggings <laughs> and drinking like, you know, pumpkin spice lattes and stuff. But I think it does come back to, um, again, the, the association of just tourists just really, really being, being embodied and really honing in on those five senses. And so for me, I mean, my favorite way, to, I start every morning by just like sitting there for like five minutes in my chair and just like really just tuning in to like, what am I hearing right now? What am I feeling in my body? What am I... Um, you know, like hearing and then it's just being able to hear like the birds chirp, like that's just the kind of stuff that you'll never, ever like really notice once you really get your day started and you're just so busy with everything else. But yeah, that's very Torian to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because we'll go well, because one of the significations that somebody put in on Twitter is they said bougie and I wasn't sure if that actually fit. And that's why I wrote under that I tend to think of Taurus as more basic actually as a contrast but what is the definition of that can you define it for me like what it means what basic means and as as a piece of like like 2010s slang i think it's been used over the past 10 years just like generic like it's it's stuff that's like it doesn't make you stand out um it's like stuff that everybody does so i think i think the idea i don't know the concept of basic is kind of funny to me just because um Sorry, there's a lot to unpack because I'm also thinking about like weird, um, like Antitia things. Cause you know, Taurus is technically in Antitia with Leo. So the idea is that because they share the same amount of light, you know, compared to the solstice, um, there's, they're like each other in shadow a little bit. And it's funny because I feel like some of the bougie pretentiousness is something that both Leo and Taurus share, but I think it's more about having like a, like a personal standard or like a personal quality that you know, you like, and you're going to, you know, you're not going to compromise on that. But I feel like the calling Taurus basic is kind of reflective ironically of the 
contra Antitia, so like the we're each other in opposite, like in a weird way, um, between Aquarius and Taurus, which to me is like you know, Aquarius doesn't necessarily like want to do the same things as other people. You know what I mean? Whereas Taurus, like, I don't think Taurus cares if they're doing the same things as other people or not. Like they don't. Yeah. I mean, because they, because other people like those things because it's been established as that's something that's like enjoyable or pleasurable. And so of course, lots of people like it and, and, and therefore why not also like that thing, I think is Taurus's rationalization, so I, I looked up like <laughs> Urban Dictionary just to like get a definition just for objective like scientific purposes here. But it says basic, only interested in things mainstream, popular, and trending. <laughs> and it says as an example, it says, oh my God, Bay is so basic. All she wants to do is drink pumpkin spice lattes and play Candy Crush. That's um, enjoyable. Now, actually. <laughs> okay. I mean, they're enjoyable. Like why get mad at people for liking things, you know? Right. Um. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've got over the past several months, I've like gotten an appreciate, a better appreciation of that, of like the things that sometimes of, of a beauty and simplicity and an elegance and simplicity um, that's so actually important and that somebody might, you know, deride as being like, you know, not unique or, not like trend setting or something like that enough, but um, learning to enjoy those things is actually a really interesting and in and of itself sort of unique thing that's worth appreciating on on many levels. I'm I'm so glad, Mo, that you mentioned the Intisha. It is, you know, just for those who are listening who don't know very much about Intisha or Contra Intisha, well, one, you should go learn about it, but to all of the fixed signs only have antitia and contra antitia with each other, <laughs> um, which I think is very loud. But for me with my chart, it's it's hard to unpack because I do have very strong Leo placements and I have strong, very Taurus placements. And so they're antitia to each other. But on the bougie signification, it is something I do think it does have to do with some of that antitia relationship. I get that projected on me a lot. Like I posted like a photo recently of I, I was wearing like like $15 pair of jeans and like a crop top that I got for free. And like I got comments on it being like, oh, my God, you look so fancy. <laughs> I was like, what? Or and I've been called bougie many times. It's like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm like a thrift store, thrift store shopper. And I don't associate myself as bougie as at all. But yeah, like the bougie thing is funny because. Uh, like, I think we can like dive into some chart examples that are contrary, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. Cause like, you know, I, I live with a Scorpio stellium who's always accusing me of being very materialistic and what have you. It's just like, I like nice things. Like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and I, I think yeah. what it is, is just that once it's been established, because I was, I was actually rewatching a little bit of my previous discussion where we did a condensed version of this on the signs of the Zodiac in two episodes with Austin and Kelly years ago. And Austin was trying to describe this and he was saying, it's just tied in with if they, if Taurus, that I think my interpretation is that Taurus can like something that's very simple and basic if it happens to be one of those things that they really like. And it actually makes me think of like, have you ever, ever seen like those documentaries or those YouTube videos about people that like will only eat like one thing? Like there's this one guy that will only eat like cheese covered in pota potatoes covered in cheese and he's been eating that for like 20 years and that's like his thing is like that's all he eats or people that have 
like a thing like that, um, I think sometimes of tourist placements that it can be boiled down to something very simple as long as it's what they like. It doesn't necessarily have to be extravagant in and of itself. The core thing is just that that's what they like and what that's what they find comfort and reassurance and nourishment in. But um, I think what the point that Austin made was that once exposed to something that's like higher level, that can be tricky because then sometimes if tourists latches onto that is like they try some super expensive, nice, like let's say a food thing, and that becomes their new favorite thing, that can be a problem because then after that point, it can be hard for them to then lower themselves back down to a more you know, realistic level, but they can get, you know, more attached to doing only the more extravagant things if they establish that that's the thing that they like the most. Yeah. I mean, that's also funny just because like the slang word bougie, like comes from the word bourgeois or bourgeoisie. And, um, I'm thinking of, uh, two people. So I think it's, uh, Karl Marx, <laughs> if you want to share his chart, like, okay. Oh my God. Like once I learned that, uh, Karl Marx was a Taurus, I think my whole perspective on the sign, um, not necessarily changed just because I was thinking about my own, um, views about money and things as a teenager and how I was like, I feel like people don't, you know, share resources enough and they, maybe like the governmental structures that be are too selfish. And it's funny because I remember being accused of being a little Marxist, but you know, now that, you know, I've seen his chart, like it, it makes sense. Um, right. So I just pulled it up and he's actually a solar eclipse in Taurus. So he has the North node at eight Taurus, the moon at 11 Taurus, the sun at 13 Taurus and Venus at 27 Taurus uh, in his, in his birth chart. Yeah. And I love that he's a um, solar eclipse chart um, in that middle decan of Taurus because it it definitely captures his legacy being cemented as someone who effectively articulated the, the power struggle between people getting rightfully compensated for their labor. And I feel like that's a huge, I feel like that's a huge internal struggle that a lot of Tureans have. It's like, okay, how much am I getting for um, you know, what I'm putting in and, uh, knowing what you're worth almost is kind of, I don't know about you, pal, but this is something that I've noticed with other Tureans in my life, but it's also some, something that I'm constantly revisiting for myself. Yeah. I think going back to Karl Marx's chart and, you know, when you read the communist manif manif manifesto, right? Like what it ultimately boils down to is he's envisioning a world where there's no capital anymore. Like there's just going to be no more money. And that's really fascinating to think of, especially when you're thinking about Taurus's significations. And that's why you can't like overly simplify it as like, oh, Tauruses are materialistic. Um, but I think, but there is something very much about the material with Taurus, that's for sure. And you could just see it in all of um, Marx's writing. And when you also look at Marx's personal life, he, he struggled a lot financially because he really tr was trying to make it uh, make a living as a philosopher, right? But his wife comes from a very old money, noble German family. And her, both her and her family are actually really quite supportive of Marx's teachings. And so, um, yeah, he, they, he depended a lot on his wife and his wife's family for that support. I think I, I remember hearing at one point that that solar eclipse 
um, that he was born under happened to like pass over like Russia or or China or like a greater part of like Asia, which ended up being important or, or notable in terms of then the influence of Marx's philosophy on some of the countries that would later adopt communism, which is kind of a cool astrological trivia thing. Wow, no, that's, that's really impressive. Cool. Like yeah, another person that. I think of is uh, Che Guevara, who has I think he has the Sun, Venus, and Chiron in Taurus in the second house. I mean, it's a B-rated time, but it's the time float. Do you do you want me to do you have that or do you want me to give it to you? Yeah, that's one of my core examples that I use for like ruler of the ascendant in the twelfth, I believe. Yeah. So I've got his chart and I, I think that time's pretty good. So yeah, yeah Ar- Aries rising and Sun and Venus in Taurus in the second. So what what about his biography does that make you think of? Like it makes me think of his well, for one, he's known for his um role in like the Cuban revolution and just other, um, revolutions across, um, Latin America to adopt more of these, um, I guess like communist like structures. And, um, I mean, there are obviously other things in his chart that, um, speak to this, but I think he's another good example of like a Taurus who didn't necessarily embody those principles of, um, oh, I just want to have like, money and resources for myself. Sure. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, other ones, to get into more of like an aesthetic one, we don't have, we famously like don't have a, a birth time for him, but um, somebody, Nick Dick and Best, was reminding me today that, that Kanye West has <laughs> Venus and Taurus um, <laughs> to get back to more of the, you know, some of the aesthetic um, stuff that comes that comes along with Taurus is that's one of the things that you of anything that you can't actually of, of any criticisms that can be leveled against Kanye West like the thing that always everyone has to give him is just his appreciation for aesthetics both um, in terms of sound and just being able to like identify sounds that are uh, aesthetically pleasing but then also bringing in an artistic and visual components into his music um you know despite all his antics like it, it's because his like attenuation to aesthetics is so good that's sort of why he's been able to like you know people have been able to overlook other things and just like focus on you know but his music is so good basically is usually the response yeah um yeah. also his just he has a really good eye and like I know a lot of people don't like to admit it, but he has influenced a lot of people in high fashion, but also just like streetwear, um, which is uh, really interesting. And so I don't know, like, I know right now what's funny is that with some of these things moving through Taurus, like, you know, I've been keeping up with Kanye and the Kardashian drama, which is really interesting, but um I think right now he's supposedly in Japan working on like fashion related things. So like it's, it'll be really interesting to see what he does like the rest of this uh, eclipse cycle, like as the rest of his uh, tourist placements get hit. I remember um, several years back. I mean, yeah, I do think he's known overall for high fashion, but I do think it's funny that one of his flubs, like in one of the shows that he got most criticism about was he came out with this whole new fashion line that where everyone was just wearing beige. It was just like different variations of beige. Do you remember that one? Okay, but everybody clowned him. But guess what? 
literally like the chokehold that neutrals and beiges have had on the fashion industry since the 2010s is insane. Yeah. Um, like the, the designs look ridiculous, but you have all these designers, like obviously he's friends with the creative director of Balenciaga, you know, he's got his collaboration with Gap, but like, there are so many brands trying to copy like the designs that he made that everybody clowned him for when they first came out. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting that that's almost become over the past decade, more of his thing and his interest and his focus seems like it's shifted more towards fashion and to art and things like that. And to a certain extent, almost the music is just his vehicle for getting to do some of those artistic projects that he wants to be able to do and wants to be recognized for or known for. Yeah, no. And I love that, like, if we think about some of the, like, basic archetypes that we were thinking about for Taurus, and I, I would say that, like, certain elements of, like, his Mercury placement, especially, like, just thinking about, like, Austin describing that Deccan as, like, a string of uh, prayer beads or, like, just, like, that connotation of prayer. I just think about, like, some of his aesthetic as being, like, you know, like either like someone who's like kind of an ascetic or like someone who's like, um, very minimalist or like, they're like, okay, I'm literally dressing like I'm someone who's like going on this spiritual pilgrimage where I like deprive myself of all the obvious like significations of opulence. And like, that's like become a huge part of his aesthetic. And I think that other people have tried emulating that through like certain facets of their design. And it's really interesting to think about that. Yeah. I think it has to do with how his Venus is configured in the chart. So, so here's the chart for the audio listeners or the placements that are relevant. He has Mars at one Taurus and Venus at two Taurus and Mercury at 26 Taurus. He has a three planet stellium. This is an untimed chart because his birth time is still unknown. There's like false, like fake time circulating, but his actual time has never been confirmed at this point. But look at how Venus is configured. So it has an opposition to Uranus at eight degrees of Scorpio. And that's where you get some of the unconventional or the tendency towards like avant-garde type stuff in some of his fashion. But then also with what you're just talking about with some of the um, sparsity, the square with Saturn. So Venus is at two Taurus and it's squaring Saturn at 12 degrees of Leo. So it's got a sort of T-square that it's all involved there. And I think that's where some of those qualities you were talking about, about, was it, it wasn't simplicity, but what was the term that you were using? It was kind of like, kind of like ascetic. It's got this ascet like ascetic asceticism vibe going on. Yeah. It's very minimal. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Um, you there was a model I believe that one of you wanted to mention or use as a chart example, right? Was it Naomi Campbell? Yeah. Let me share chart. Here it is. So Naomi Campbell looks like the time is rounded. It's like one a.m. I don't know if that's a verified birth time or not, but since the ascendant is so late at twenty nine Capricorn, the ascendant could change signs. So just to be aware of in terms of the house placements, but she has Mercury conjunct Saturn at 13 and 14 degrees of Taurus, and Mercury is actually stationing direct, it looks like, on the day she was born. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, what's interesting is that, you know, regardless of if she's um, like an Aquarius rising or a Capricorn rising, um, it's Mercury conjoined like what would be her chart ruler. Um, 
which is kind of interesting to me. I also think about, um, cause I think there would also just be this association between like Mercury and her Saturn and Taurus, like with the fifth house, regardless, just because it's like, it's either in the fifth house or the fifth house ruler is there. And I just think of, I guess her approach to being a model. And I know that like her, like Tyra Banks has also been on various, I guess, shows or competitions where people are aspiring to be models. And it's almost like her, it's her weird way of like giving back. Cause I, so that middle decan of Taurus does have connotations of, you know, giving back to people or supporting people, but she's doing it by being very critical of their approach to modeling or their approach to, um, presenting themselves. Like she's very, how do I put this? So people who have especially hard, um, Mercury Saturn aspects, but probably more obvious with the conjunction have this very, um, precise, maybe clinical diagnostic, um, approach. And I feel like that's part of her, um, coaching or mentoring approach for like allowing these like younger models to, you know, develop themselves into being, I guess, appropriate for the industry. So it, it very much shows with her approach to, I guess, giving back. I don't know. Yeah. Mercury, Saturn, hard aspects are very good at seeing the flaws in things. And usually people see that externally as like the person constantly negating or pointing out the flaws in other things. But what's not usually visible is it's also internalized as the person's constantly seeing the flaws in like their own things. And it's coming from that internal place as well, where they have a tendency to focus on the negatives. But um, sometimes that can be applied really constructively because once you've like focused in and eliminated all the negative stuff, sometimes it allows you to truly excel in some area that you might not, not otherwise. And I wonder, since Saturn is her ascendant ruler, how much of that is also projected onto her? Because, yeah, growing up, I constantly felt like there was just so much negative press against Naomi Campbell, whereas Tyra was always kind of touted as like more like that good girl archetype, right? And then they would always just, the media and the tabloids constantly would pit them against each other. Yeah, that's a good point. We actually do have a birth time for Tyra, although she doesn't have any any chart placements, so I'm going to stop us from going off on that that yeah. direction because that would be <laughs> yeah. a whole other episode. Um, all right, so just looking through my list of other examples, but I'm not sure. Uh, well, one actually that actually brings to mind one example that I have used in the past, um, which is George Lucas, who has Taurus rising, and he has the Sun in Taurus and Venus in Taurus and Mercury in Taurus. And his Mercury is also like the previous example we were just looking at, which is that it's just like a day away from stationing direct. So that's a, you know, Taurus stellium right in the first house. And um, he, of course, became a famous movie director. And he, you know, created the Star Wars series, which just exploded when it first came out in 1977 and became wildly popular. And then later did Indiana Jones, which was another successful series. Um, but one of the things with Steven Spielberg or with George Lucas as a director that he did really well that was only like apparent if you had like a much broader history in film or overview in film is that he just like saw a lot of components 
from earlier films and earlier series that he liked and then he kind of repackaged it into a new thing with Star Wars and then everybody loved it but not realizing that it wasn't necessarily completely new or fresh per se he was just taking some of the best bits from earlier things and then like remixing it into something new that was like a super version of that and that actually reminds me because Kanye actually does the same thing and that's what he became known for originally was like taking samples from earlier songs and then noticing and being able to see like the value that there was like something there even in that little snippet of like let's say two or three seconds of music and then taking that and turning it into like an entire song or turning that into the um, the background sort of beat or something in an entire song so there might be a similar quality there where Taurus is able to like identify things that are really good aesthetically and does a good job of repackaging them sometimes and remaking them into something new? I think not just aesthetic too, because I, for me, when I, when I reflect on just some of my, the, the projects and the work I'm proudest of, it's stuff that I didn't think of from thin air. It's something that, you know, I copied and adapted to fit the situation and the setting. Like for example, when I was still in Hawaii, one of the projects I worked on was launching citizenship workshops to help people apply for U.S. citizenship. And it was something that really hadn't been done before to a large scale in Hawaii. I got that all from different groups who were doing it in California and Las Vegas. You know, it wasn't something like completely made up. Like I'm not out here trying to reinvent the wheel, but I can figure out ways where it's okay, like adapting it uniquely to Hawaii's situation. But yeah, I totally feel that. I love that. So maybe that means that, that'll take us back to one of our previous points. And maybe we found a new aspect of that, which is one of our key phrases then is that something doesn't have to be new or unique in order for it to be valuable. And maybe that's like an, an underlying like sentence that that is core to like the, the Taurus archetype. Yeah, no, I love that you guys brought that up because I'm just thinking about um, like how I feel my Taurus sun manifests in my own chart um, and how like, <laughs> no, I'm just thinking because, okay, so for context, I used to work in a lab that studies a neurodegenerative disease. And I think what we would do is we would take, um, <clears throat> we would take um, like the proteins that we think cause um, neurodegenerative disease and literally like inject like part of the surgery I would have to do. This is bringing out in, um, the sun ruling the sixth house, um, ruling those animals, um, and also the surgery itself. And like, you know, we take that material from these old brains and we would like inject it into the mouse brains and we would have like a sort of mini model of Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or like whatever, um, and so like, that's an interesting manifestation, but also I feel like it's reflective of kind of like my life as a science person. Cause that's what I do like in my day job or like in my typical life. And so just thinking of the whole concept of, you know, what is, you know, research and science, but taking old ideas and just finding new ways to study them. Right. Like, and therefore, I guess, enhancing our understanding of how things work or why they work. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's a really good point. Um could I show could could I um pull up a chart example or have you sure. pull one up for me? I really want to talk about Imelda Marcos's chart because she has a lot of strong Taurus placements and I've studied her biography quite a bit. 
but she and I believe yeah she does have confirmed birth time on Astro Data Bank but she was a former first lady of the Philippines that still to this day has the world record for most number of shoes that's that's amazing uh is this correct the chart um yeah I believe so I thought she might have been a cancer rising but it's possible I just pulled this up from very old files from my friend Nick Diggin best but I don't haven't checked let me check astro.com and see what the current is but either way she has the the moon in Taurus and the north node and Venus in Taurus right yes yes so on the point we were just talking about about you know, not reinventing the wheel and just like not trying to create something new that very, very much is her. She, as first lady of the Philippines, she really wanted to elevate the Philippines as just like some of these other Asian countries that were starting to boom, like Korea and Japan and Singapore. And so she really looked to a lot of those countries for inspiration, um, for better or worse. I think One of the other things she's like really known for, sadly, is her and her husband had embezzled so much money from the government that still hasn't been recovered to this day, which really drove the country and the vast majority of its citizens into dire poverty, all while they were enriching themselves. Like that's how she amassed this like gigantic shoe collection. I think another really tragic thing that happened while she was first lady was one of the things she wanted to do was really erect great works of art, um, including like buildings, um, especially when it was aligning with some kind of like sporting event or some diplomat visiting. She really wanted to show like, oh, the Philippines is this up and coming country. And sadly, because she would rush through these projects, construction workers were dying at like really terrible rates while trying to build these beautiful works of art. But um, and, you know, the the other thing, if she's she's a former beauty queen, (laughs) like there's just like all there's just so much Taurus with her um, and the not so pretty parts of Taurus as well. Yeah. So here's the correct chart from Astro Data Bank. So she has Taurus or she has cancer rising and the sun's like right on the ascendant. So it's probably switching over to a day chart at this point. And then so cancer rising, the ascendant is ruled by the moon, which is at one degree of Taurus in the 11th whole sign house up there with the north node at 20 Taurus and Venus at 23 Taurus. So the ruler of her ascendant is actually in Taurus, which is one of the sometimes things that can make a certain sign of the zodiac more dominant or especially more dominant as a character trait is either having that as your rising sign or having the ruler of the ascendant placed in that sign. Yeah, that's a good example. Go ahead. Oh no, I I think I'm yeah, I think I'm done with that. I she's I'm I'm curious she's still alive actually and she really mm. Hasn't I mean she has been charged with some things, but in terms of just whether she's going to get jail time because of her age, like I really don't think there's going to unfortunately be justice in this case. But I'm looking now at that North Node, like oh, I wonder how these eclipses are going to affect her and her now. Her grandson's running for president right now, actually. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the elections. Oh, oh shoot, yeah, the elections coming up. It's like in a few days. Well, uh, yeah, and we've got those eclipses going on in Taurus and Scorpio right now. So that's pretty big. Um, all right, I'm just looking through other chart examples, but I don't have any that are jumping out that would be really good right now. Are there any others that either of you wanted to mention? 
I mean, I kind of want to talk about Bob Dylan's chart <laughs> a little bit because sometimes what shocked me about his chart when I first looked at it, because, you know, I just think, oh, Gemini sun, like, you know, uh, Sag rising. But then I didn't realize he had a giant um, Taurus stellium in his sixth whole sign house. Um, Here it is. So it's sad, sad rising and then Saturn at 20, Moon at 21, Uranus at 26, and Jupiter at 29, Taurus. Yeah, and like seeing his chart ruler being um, at the end of Taurus. And I just think of when I see that Taurus stellium, especially because it's like a proper stellium in that last decade of Taurus, it's like, okay, both your sect light and your chart ruler are here. So like this is so important. And I think it's interesting one thing I, I'm not sure like how much of his discography is, um, of this is true, but I know that, you know, like other artists of his time, like one thing he did was popularize again, songs that were old already. So folk songs that were common. And I feel like a lot of his songs that are well-known are actually those songs, at least the ones that still persist to this day, since there are lots of Gen Zers apparently who don't know who Bob Dylan is now um and then uh another thing i think of is just because all of that is in the sixth house um how a lot of his um songs especially the ones that he's more known for are like those that are tied to like not necessarily like labor movements but just like some kind of like protesty uprising like kind of energy it's like i'm providing like the soundtrack to people's feelings about um maybe the ways that they've been exploited by the powers that be or um, something like that. Cause I know like he had a lot of songs that he wrote, like maybe during um, Vietnam and like all these other factors that were going on during like the countercultural movement of the time. So mm -hmm. that's something I think about with some of his tourist placements. Yeah, that's a good point. And it, and that ruler of the ascendant in Taurus is like conjunct Uranus pretty mm -hmm. closely there within three yeah. degrees, which adds some of that component. Um, yeah, I like that. Um, I've seen some people with like Sag rising and a chart ruler in Taurus and doing work and wanting to work with the hands in some way, either in an, an aesthetic sense or um, in a healing sense, which is where some of the sixth house stuff comes in, um, or sometimes a crossover between both. But I noticed that part of the... Um, similarity or the crossover, the, the commonality was just wanting to do something with the hands that was like material and like working with something or working with people, but in a very embodied way. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think of other chart examples that kind of mirror that. Um, let me go back to my keyword list just in order to make sure we're not uh, overlooking any major keywords that we wanted to make sure we included. So here we go. Cautious, slow to let go, receptive, inflexible, determined, practical, endurance, sustainable, durable, thick, solid, stagnant, works on their own time, but also follows through and develops inertia, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, slowness, enduringness, persistence, sustained, strong, steadfast, relaxed, hearty, monotonous, lazy, plodding. I know I've, I guess I read some of those, but just to reiterate some of them, because now I think 
we're starting to get a better sense of where some of that comes from. And one of the things I hope people understand and see from doing these deep dives is how um, there's like an umbrella concept and then there can be both uh, constructive and or positive and negative manifestations from that overarching concept that it doesn't necessarily have to be positive or negative. It can sort of go either way. And sometimes different people can express different variations of you know constructive or destructive versions of the same significations in their own life at different points in their life. Or sometimes as we grow and develop, we grow into and develop different personality traits that are part of the same archetype at different times in our life, um, which, which is sort of an important thing to understand as well, that sometimes you'll identify with some parts of a sign, let's say early in your life, but then later in your life, you might start to identify with other parts of that sign that maybe you didn't identify with earlier on. Has that ever happened to either, either of you? Is there like significations of Taurus that like didn't make any sense to you early on, but then later on you're kind of like, okay, yeah, that's become a thing, or are there ones that did early on, but then later in your life you sort of grew out of or, or moved away from? Um, for myself, I would say I feel like I've as I've gotten older, the way Taurus shows up in my life has become more apparent. Um, for myself, especially a lot of the significations around, um, needing comfort and, um, trying to prioritize things that either sustain me or, um, also just things that I like or things that are pleasurable. Um, that's something that I've had to grow into with time. And I feel like, so for me, I'm actually wrapping up my Taurus perfection year. And so I've really gotten to get more in touch with that principle this year, more so than other years, even though, you know, like I had this, like last time I had this, I was 14, I think. Like, I don't know, there's something different that's just starting to click this time around. Yeah. Well, I love that that was, that was a third house perfection year for you. You've been doing a, like a podcast over the course of the past year and like communicating and like learning, I'm sure, things about communicating. And then you're kind of like capping it off at the end of the, the year doing doing this episode with, with me. I know. It, it, it was literally like, I think when you asked us, like, there's just some weird stuff Venus was doing. And I was like, oh, this is great. And like, you know, we're wrapping up my third house year doing this. This is awesome. But I think that it's also allowed me to... Uh, just this and also thinking about how the pandemic has just kind of taken us offline and like disconnected everybody from, you know, like their communities and stuff. I feel like, especially towards the end of this year for me, uh, like, well, this perfection year for me, I feel like I've definitely come back into understanding that, you know, I'm someone who's very sociable. I need to be, you know, interacting with people and I need more of that, um, more routines around like sharing like um, sensory experiences with the people around me. So I've been getting more involved in my neighborhood. Like I've been walking around more and just enjoying um, the general aesthetic of it. Um, and that's been really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So it's another third house thing, like your, your neighborhood and which is always like was an abstract signification for me whenever I'd see that, like you're reading an ancient text and it's like, 
saying all this important stuff of like, this is the house for career. This one in indicates like, you know, the person that you'll marry. This one indicates your children. And then it's like, third house is your neighborhood. And you're just like, what, what does that mean? Why is that important? But sometimes when it's act, when it's activated and you have an important transit there, like a perfection, and suddenly your neighborhood, your immediate environment, or your neighbors, like the people that you live next to, when that becomes more important, suddenly you realize like what a major role that can play in your life if especially if it's going to one extreme or another where either things are going very well and it's very supportive part of your life or or the opposite if something's going wrong there and that's like a source of stress or, or difficulty for you then that can really stand out as well definitely um and i think for me um just knowing i guess also a lot of the people around me having like a cultivation practice so like one thing my sibling does is that she will, I guess, try to grow avocado seeds. Like that was something that came up, but also just like, I've been appreciating the third house as like close friends. And one of my close friends, um, also has like started growing plants and just planting things. And I just know a lot of people planting things and they're teaching me about like, oh, this is what I'm going through trying to get this thing to plant you know, out like inside versus outside. So that's been a funny like side effect of this year, which was pretty fun. Yeah. I like that. And that might be an underlying thing there of like Taurus, the Taurus part of our chart where there's things that need to be grown and, and cultivated and nurtured in some way. And that can be applied to many different parts of our life. Like even like, let's say relationships or something where sometimes relationships are like a little garden that you have to water and you have to cultivate and grow because otherwise if you neglect it like the relationship can literally die um and maybe that's an, an important and useful like concept to think of as we're going through Taurus season and thinking about the Taurus archetype is just where we need to grow and cultivate things in our life and sort of like tend to tend to things yeah i like that um i think you know with with having a Taurus moon in the first house i've actually thought about how that connects with one of my other hobbies, which is powerlifting. And so I've been powerlifting for the past seven years. And I think one of the things I've come to really appreciate with lifting is it really does come down to like just showing up every other day or, you know, however many days you do it in per week and just, just, yeah, just chopping wood and carrying water. And then you just got to keep doing it. It's, about, it's always about the consistency yeah. And on the flip side of that, it's also like, well, if you need to take a week break or a two week break because you have other things going on or you have a vacation or you just need the rest, it's also just like not going to kill your progress either. And that feel there's there's some Torian element to that that I like. Yeah, that seems really important, like the importance of consistency and just showing up regularly and doing something on a regular schedule. And then the inertia that builds up once you do that, that can help to carry you through even the times when something might might interrupt your consistency. Right. Yeah, no, it's funny that you brought up the lifting because it just makes me think about, um, you know, the connotations that Taurus can be lazy, but then also um, how a lot of fighters like uh, Muhammad Ali and I can't think of anybody right now, but he's like the main one I think of, um, have that Mars and Taurus. And I think there's this, um, enduring quality that, um, 
that I feel is interesting because, you know, even though we think of, oh, Taurus is lazy and they just want to eat ice cream and lay on the couch, you know, all the fun memes we see on the internet these days. But I think what a lot of people don't realize about the concept of inertia is that, you know, like once you start, it's kind of hard to stop, right? You just want to keep like going at it and you want to keep going at it. And I feel like, you know, with Mars and Taurus, even though, you know, it's Mars, you know, in it's exile. Like I also think about, you know, triplicity. It's like my favorite thing to talk about. Like, and whenever I see planets that are fallen or, um, in exile that do have triplicity, it's almost like there's a, there's a sympathy or that like people understand that, you know, there's a time and a place for what usually doesn't feel like the most constructive thing to, um, manifest. So, whenever I see Mars and Taurus or Mars and Cancer, there's almost this, um, willingness to fight for, you know, like, you know, what you feel like nurtures you or what sustains you or like what is valuable to you. Um, even if people don't necessarily like agree with the approach or the approach is not always, you know, the most appropriate, I think there will be enough people that are sympathetic or understanding of, you know, someone employing a Martian strategy, like being very confrontational over, you know, their comforts or maybe being, or something like that. Cause sometimes with, you know, Mars, I find that Mars, when it's not dignified, tends to have the issue of perceiving threats where there are none. And I think that people might understand the defensiveness, if that makes sense. Like just because there's that elemental or sect agreement. Mm, that makes sense. That made me your your comment about endurance made me pull up Muhammad Ali's chart, who had Mars in Taurus and the midheaven in Taurus and Saturn and Uranus in Taurus, with Leo rising. And yeah, like you're saying, like one of his things that he was famous for was just his endurance and being able to go a bunch of rounds and to like outlast his opponent um, as part of his like overall strategy. Yeah, and this is a good contrast to this came up in your episode with Rick about Aries, but I also believe that Austin mentioned it in the May forecast about fighters with strong Aries placements being, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. the, if they get that knockout in that first couple of rounds, then they're right. gonna win. But it's if they like, don't if they don't, they're gonna lose. Yeah, then they're in trouble. And the difference, I think we're contrasting Rick was contrasting like Mars and Aries or Aries energy versus like Scorpio energy and Aries being very cardinal and therefore great, just like burst of energy out of the gate and really good sprinters, um, you know, metaphorically like sprinting and having that initial burst of energy. And if you're going to win, like winning right at the beginning and like knocking out your opponent right at the start versus Scorpio energy being more fixed and, um, you know, their strategy being more like long term and outlasting their opponent or out strategizing them or something. 100%. And I, I'm just thinking about, you know, the difference between Mars and Scorpio versus Mars and Taurus. Um, because, you know, there is still that, um, you know, that endurance or that persist. I would say it's more persistence with Scorpio versus endurance, because I feel like there's an offensive upper hand or advantage that um maybe Scorpio Mars has because it's like I know I can actually maybe put enough power into this approach that I want to take whereas I feel like with um 
Mars and Taurus, it's more about how how many, how much can I withstand um, versus like how much can I actually do? And so I think that's where the the difference is. And you know, Mars actually wants to be the doer and not you know the just like the I guess object that just takes a bunch of hits. And so I think that's where, you know, the struggle kind of is. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, let me go back to our keyword list. Are there any major keywords or things that we have not mentioned yet? Um, I guess I should bring in, there was another poster. So a listener of the podcast, Chloe, uh, submitted the Aries sort of poster that she made, and she made another one for Taurus. So let me just show and share that really quickly because that may have some significations we haven't gotten to yet. So it says, Taurus, ruled by Venus, exalted moon, fixed earth, bull, the neck. Oh yeah, we haven't mentioned the body part yet that Taurus is associated with the neck in terms of the signs of the zodiac. Um, and the other keyword she gives is she says, I have slow, slow down, Take your time, methodical, measured, anti-change, stubborn, reliable, loyal, comfort, fecund, garden, grounded, slow and steady, staying power, endurance, plodding, plodding along, maintenance, consistent, pace, uh, fix, fix the form, creating things, taste, works of art, snobbishness, quality, high standards, organic, tactile, support, sensory, sensory pleasures, smell the roses, bubble bath, naps and snacks, greedy, dependable, artistic, do not rush me, exclamation mark. <laughs> I like that. Do not rush me. Yeah. Oh my God. I where to begin? Like Taurus is basically, you can't rush art. And you know what? It's true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be slow to sort of like get going um, and definitely does not like to be rushed at all because it's, it definitely does not function as well under those circumstances. Yeah. I have a quick funny story of my last workplace where a corker came to me to go vent about another corker. She was venting about a corker who's a Taurus sun and a Taurus Venus. And she was like, you know, we, they had to take a work trip together and she was complaining that they were already like so late to get to the gate. Like they were already calling their names at the gate, but the Taurus corker was still standing in line for his Starbucks and would not budge. And then Taurus Corker, like the next day, came to me to vent about that coworker saying she was rushing me the entire time. The gate was right next to the Starbucks. It wasn't a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Nice. Yeah. 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 What other significations did that bring or did that sort of draw out for, for either of you that we haven't mentioned so far? Maybe we could talk about the, the signification with or the association with the neck. Because, you know, as you discussed in the Aries episode, the Aries is associated with the head and it's just, you know, we're moving down the body. And so Taurus is associated with the neck. Um, I've often heard that, you know, people who are good singers tend to have um, or good speakers even tend to have some pretty um, good Taurus placements. And one funny story recently 
I was doing an event here, a tourist themed cabaret show here in New York with a couple of other astrologers where we, there were four singers and we had to guess out of those four, who was the Taurus sun, a Taurus moon, a Taurus rising and an imposter. And one of the other astrologers, Mac, the Zodiac, she kept looking, there's one, there was one guy who had a turtleneck on and she was like, I feel like you must be the Taurus rising. And she shouldn't have guessed her, her second guessed herself because he did end up being the Taurus rising, but she kept <laughs> saying like, you're covering your neck and I just feel like you're probably a Taurus rising. And she ended up changing her answer last minute, oh, but no. yeah. And we've been just sending each other memes ever since. Like I saw one. Uh, you know how they always do those mood boards on Twitter where you can like yeah. pick your sun, moon, rising. The Taurus, rise, it was a cat one. And the Taurus rising cat had this like big giant like collar on. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Um, but here's the thing. So as a Taurus sun, I love turtlenecks. That's like half my closet. And I am not ashamed to admit that. Um Another thing is that speaking to your point about um, Taurus placements and the throat, like it's interesting because even some of our examples, like Kanye, um, Bob Dylan, uh, I think I can't know. Adele has a, she has a um, Gemini Mercury, I think. And, but like, you know, there's associations with um, Taurus Mercury is in singing or speech. And I think of a lot of people who are, you know, either good songwriters, good singers, good lyricists, like people who have the ability to, I guess, make sounds that are pleasurable to people or just convey messages that are um, nice to people. Um, yeah, no, I think that, you know, a lot of Taurus placements, especially if they have Taurus either occupying, um, so I've seen this like both with myself. I've heard that I have a good podcasting voice. It's funny because like Taurus is my third. And then um, just other people who have like the third house ruler or like the second house ruler in Taurus usually have skills, especially if it relates to communicating or um, writing or something that involves like combining sounds or words or something. Um I think that there's definitely that sort of influence. And it doesn't surprise me that a lot of legendary songwriters or composers have tourist placements. So that's definitely a thing. I just pulled up Adele's chart and it looks like she is, she's a sun and Jupiter conjunction in Taurus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, let's see other musicians that I had in my files that are Sun in Taurus and Mercury in Taurus. Actually, one of them is Trent Reznor, who has Capricorn rising and Sun at 26 Taurus and Mercury at three degrees of Taurus. Um, yeah. What, so the throat and then the throat up, obviously that can come up also sometimes like very literally in terms of Taurus placements, indicating things around the throat. Um, sometimes uh, like adornment or like liking to decorate or wear like necklaces or things like that can be oh, like a tourist like thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just so thought of another good uh tourist example. Uh Barbara Streisand. She's got Sun conjunct Mercury at the beginning of Taurus, and then she has Saturn conjunct Uranus at the end of Taurus. Mm. Yeah, she's a good example. Um Trying to pull up her chart really quickly. Here it is. 
So yeah, Sun, Mercury conjunction early Taurus, and then Saturn and Uranus in late Taurus in the mm-hmm. second house. Yeah. Um, all ruled by that exalted Venus. <laughs> yeah, I just peeped that. Yeah. All right. Um, and then let's see, like going back to this, any other major things from Chloe's poster that were like new things that stand out to us? I think Taurus, is the, remembering that Taurus is signified by the bull is important because I think the bull just represents so much of what we had already discussed, like even just some of the agricultural and cultivation significations, right? Like bulls are, you know, used to plow the earth. Um, and then the stubbornness <laughs> and the slow movingness. Yeah. Um, but once it gets moving, right, like, you know, it's just going to keep going. I, I noticed one of the other chart examples you have on this list is Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine. And one of their most famous songs is Bulls on Parade. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And one of his most famous, just like his contributions to that song in terms of like the baseline. Um, looks like I don't have his chart uh, calculated here, but yeah. So... All right, so Taurus, um, coming back around, and one, are there any other contrasts that we should make? I mean, the other contrast, uh, other contrasts that we could make, and we've done a little bit of, is like Taurus versus Scorpio is like the opposite sign, and um, the contrast between those Mars ruled signs of like Aries being the one before or Scorpio being the one opposite. But also in terms of the maybe just the fixed signs, something we started to contrast a little bit. Um, the four fixed signs are Taurus is the first of them, the first of the fixed signs, and in, so in some ways it almost sets up the archetype or the pattern for all fixed signs, and in some ways is almost like the most fixed of the four fixed signs because it's a fixed Earth sign, and Earth as an element also like holds its form compared to all of the other elements like fire air or water, which don't hold their form necessarily as well, but they tend to just expand or continue expanding. So um, let's contrast maybe Taurus with those other fixed signs, such as the fixed sign, fire sign Leo, um, the other fixed water sign Scorpio, or the fixed air sign Aquarius. Are there any major things that come to mind or like rankings that we could do in terms of signs that are the most something or the least something in terms of that <laughs> categorization. Oh my god, no, we're doing this. But um, you know what's funny? I you know, I love I love my hot takes and I I always joke that I feel like Aquarius is actually the most fixed sign. <laughs> and not Taurus just because it's ruled by Saturn. And, um, another thing that I think of is, you know, if we think about the layers of divinity, that's like pretty common in, you know, a lot of, um, I guess like Hellenistic sort of thought, but also just like related branches of thought, um, is that, you know, earth is like the least divine because it's the most changeable because, you know, we grow like we're born we grow we die things like that but you know as you get closer to divinity you get towards this um more permanent and intangible source so i think of it from that point of view like earth or like material is something you can manipulate and i also think about um you know 
one way we think of um, immortalizing people is through their ideas and like what they think and like what they believe. And I find that at least this has been my experience of Aquarius, like people that I've met, whether it's like, especially the moons, but also the suns. Um, it's, it's like once they've figured out, like, I guess what seems to be the underlying structure of how things appear to be working or if like more personally they find like their moral code or, or like what matters to them they don't stray from it and it's just like it's just that and that's final and because you can argue to some extent what we remember about people is you know less what they look like less what they owned less like you know what they had and more about you know what was kind of going on internally and like their personal attributes like that's that's kind of why I like to, you know, poke fun and say Aquarius, in my opinion, is the most fixed sign. But, you know, I'm open to being wrong. <laughs> no, I like that. That makes sense to me because as, as an air sign and as a sign ruled by Saturn, especially, it's probably the most like ideologically fixed sign. And in, in, in terms of ideology, that's probably out of the four, the, the most. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me, especially when framed in that way. Yeah. Yeah, um, I I think I think it's Sam Reynolds who had a thread like not too long ago where he was arguing that Taurus is actually the most revolutionary of the signs and not Aquarius and that some of these associations of Aquarius with being, you know, humanitarians one word that gets thrown around a lot or revolutionaries another one. Yeah, I, I, I actually like agreed with a lot of what he said. And I don't think it's a surprise, like even when we're looking at this list of people with notable tourist placements, you do see you see Carl, the ones we discussed already, like Karl Marx, Che Guevara, Huey Newton's on that list too, Martin Luther King Jr., Audrey Lord, Angela Davis, I believe, what the time I have? I don't remember. I think she does have stuff in Aquarius though. I'm pretty oh. sure she's an Aquarius son. I, I think yeah. so, if yeah. I remember correctly. So yeah. It's it's not to say that obviously I mean there's I could there's probably Aquarius placements out there who do have that revolutionary bent as well. But I think we can't sleep on the fact that there can also be conservatism attached to that as well. Like just for some of that Saturn of just being like if that's ideology fix for yourself, then you're just gonna stick with that. Yeah, that's a good point. And and Aquarius sometimes in the traditional rulership of with Saturn over Aquarius can sometimes be a fixation with the past or fixation with the um, you know things, the precedent or the things that came before. And therein, there's a little bit of overlap with Taurus and fixed sign stuff. But definitely, Saturn can have a one of the things that Saturn can sometimes do is a tendency to like exalt older things over newer things, which can then create its own dynamic. Uh, yeah, no, Chris, I love that you brought up the, um, like the relationship to like past things. And I think it's, it's interesting because I feel like, I feel like one thing that I guess Aquarius and Taurus can have in common is you know, by trying to maybe like bring back certain things that like have always been done or just trying to like preserve things that have always been done. But I think that maybe Taurus doesn't necessarily have the same like ideological attachment to it. It's more about like, ha, huh, this is always like kind of felt good. Whereas like, you know, this is always how things worked. This is how things should work. Um, 
and that being like a key difference. And I think that, um, there are like differences, different relationships to conformity, I think that both signs have. So I think Taurus doesn't mind conforming to the status quo. Whereas I think with Aquarius, they want to like replace whatever the current status quo is in favor of like a new status quo. Yeah. There's like a, a rejection of the existing status quo, which is one of Aquarius's tendencies to sort of like reject things. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see that even with this, with our pandemic time right now, right? Where the pandemic started with Saturn and Capricorn and now with Saturn and Aquarius, it's been about, you know, we can't, everyone, I think most people have accepted this point that we can't go back to normal, whatever that means that this world, our, our world's changed now. Yeah, Saturn and Aquarius has been kind of a ride. I can't believe we only have a year left of Saturn and Aquarius before that's over and Saturn moves into Pisces, which is kind of crazy to think. I know. Like I, I I've also been thinking a lot about the difference between Aquarius and Taurus. And like I, I have this running joke that at least for 2021, I'm like, it vibes a lot like the year 2000 because we had the opposite where Saturn was in Taurus and then Uranus was in Aquarius. And I'm just like, I haven't figured out how to unpack those thoughts yet, but I know that like certain elements of the internet were like bigger, like becoming big. So like people were using the internet a lot more. And it's interesting how we're revisiting that in a different way. Um, mostly like less out of like the purpose of like innovation, which I definitely think, um, you know, Uranus does like say things about, but it almost feels like it's coming out of necessity. <laughs> You know, because we were in a pandemic, um, you know, certain elements, you know, like it's like we have the technology, we may as well like start to adapt our like social lives towards this. But it's interesting seeing Saturn being at home and, um, you know, having this relationship with Uranus where um, instead of like Uranus kind of having this favorable view of Saturn because it's in Saturn's home versus like you know, Uranus being in a position where it doesn't have to answer to Saturn and it doesn't care about, you know, um, whatever we feel like social interactions should be governed by or like how they should be structured. It's almost like Uranus is asking us to revisit our relationship to certain elements of like our sensory lives and certain elements of like the things that we value, maybe find comfort in and like want to consolidate and experience more of and like sustain in our lives versus like, you know, these changes in structure that are being kind of forced on us. And I feel like there's certain elements of that square that have just been like really reaffirming, like, you know, some of these differences between the two signs. I don't know about you guys, but yeah. Yeah. That makes me think of just the difference of, um, Aquarius maybe being more ideological or more idea driven versus Taurus being more practical and saying like, but you know, but how, how can that be, how can that work in practice or how, how can that actually be implemented in practice in some tangible way? And I think, you know, what Mo has been saying quite a few times is, you know, there is a lot of Taurus that's about what's going to make me feel good right now. Whereas Aquarius often can really focus on the greater good and which I think is reflective of the sun being in detriment there. And yeah, I think just thinking about that Saturn and Aquarius right now of having this overcoming square to Uranus and Taurus, 
and thinking about where we are currently in the pandemic, right? Like we've been and still are continuing to deal with folks who haven't been happy with the restrictions. And now we're at a place here in the United States where the restrictions are pretty much almost all gone same in now. Canada. This, oh, <laughs> same same here. Like, yeah, it's interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that brings up Leo, actually, which is is important to maybe we should con- contrast that with next. Like, how would you contrast Taurus as a fixed sign versus Leo as a fixed sign that's ruled by the sun? So there's more of like a focus on like the ego or like the I and some concept of like I or ego, I feel like with Leo that's not as well defined in Taurus, I feel like. Pow, I'm going to let you start since you have like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and maybe that just has to do with the rulership of like Venus, for example, and Venus wanting, Venus being a little bit more relational and like reaching outside of itself to see if like the other another person is okay. And that being a little bit more where the locus of um, attention is, is that it's on partially on itself and what like what feels good personally, but also like if it's possible also to like take care of somebody else um, and make someone else feel good, then that's also taken into account with Taurus. Whereas for Leo, um, the primary fo- focus is a little bit more on the self to some extent due to the rulership of the sun and the sun just being like the center of the solar system that all of the other planets sort of revolve around and the sun just does its thing and other people and other planets just tend to gravitate towards it and then get sort of sucked into its orbit in some sense. Yeah, I do definitely think that there is an element of authority that's associated with Leo that that's where you get all these significations about, you know, Leo wanting to be center stage or Leo being the leader, whereas Taurus placements, I think generally will be okay being in the background. I think actually even a lot of the chart examples we have, I don't know if I really see too many people who are like, you know, big leaders or forefront run, you know, like at the forefront of a lot of what they do. Um, So I think that's one thing, but the other, the other thing that really stands out to me with the difference between Leo and Taurus is the, the elemental difference, the difference between this fire and this earth where Leo can be very much like outward or extroverted. It's just like another, you know, um, word that could be used with Leo, whereas Taurus as an earth sign is going to be much more introverted. And I do want to make the distinction to that, you know, often extroverted is like, oh, someone who's just very social and introverted is someone who's shy. And yeah, there could be some elements of that. But I think the better definition of those two words is that people who are extroverted tend to gain more energy when they're around people and surrounded by people, whereas introverts will get their energy drained when they are um, in these social settings. And so I I think about that difference to the elemental difference with those two signs. Yeah, that's a great point. So that they they actually get recharged sometimes by um, private or by something more low-key, something more internalized rather than something externalized from you know interaction with other people or, or what have you right right and again it goes back to you know venus and the moon doing very very well in a sign like taurus and when i think about those two planets i do think a lot there of course there's some outward expressions of those but i also do think it always comes back to just like recentering and right. replenishing yeah no i i like thinking about um 
Venus's rulership because, um, you know, aside from the moon when she's full, um, you know, the brightest thing in the night sky is Venus. And I feel like Taurus and Leo, like in different ways, and I feel like it's more subtle with Taurus, um, there's the ability to capture people's attention in some way. And I'm thinking about um, Venus's rulership of, you know, the arts and things that are creative and appealing to people's senses. I think that Taurus and Leo both are good at having like a broader appeal to like more people. Whereas like, I feel like for Leo, people are drawn to them because of their essence and people feel like, you know, they can benefit from proximity to, you know, someone who seems to be a source of like energy, light, or, you know, whatever those things translate to for the Leo in question. But I feel like with Taurus, there's some like maybe more subtle quality that people feel more comfortable, like gravitating towards. Um, but I definitely agree with Pau in that there is this need to maybe honor more of those like internal, um, I guess interests a little more and like recharging in that way. Um, but I think, um, another difference is that, um, I'm just trying to think cause like, Oh, another thing I wanted to point out about Taurus is if you, um, consider the sun to be slightly malefic, which I do just because it can maltreat planets with combustion. Um, Taurus is the only, the only like fixed sign where like two arguably benefic planets do very well. So like there's this element of playing nice with other people. Whereas I feel like with Leo, like, again, there's this issue of, you know, the sun's light only being beneficial unless, um, unless you're like too close or there's too much proximity because, you know, the sun obscures things around it. And when the sun is too close to a planet, it kind of like burns it up and swallows up its powers. You know what I mean? So it's just, I think that there's that kind of element there too. That's different. That's a really good point. And it just makes me think again of just the decans of Leo and, or I mean, Deccans aside as well, there's there there there's definitely an element of self-preservation with both signs, but with Leo in particular, it can come across when you look at those three decans. Like if you look at the five of wands and the seven of wands, oh sorry, with the five of wands and the seven of wands with in the traditional writer weight artwork, it's you see fighting, right? <laughs> yeah. And then even arguably with the six of wands, it's about okay, you've made it to the top. You are now the ruler, the winner, but now you've got to like defend your crown. And there can definitely be a lot of that with Leo. Yeah. And, and so, and also, yeah, just the notion that a planet, when it gets too close to the sun, it gets overshadowed by and just um, can't, Leo and the sun can take up all the limelight in some ways, um, which is a little different. Like Taurus doesn't necessarily have that tendency as much. Um, so that's a good point about bringing up the primarily sort of benefic quality or the more purely benefic quality of. Taurus um, as one of the only fixed signs like ruled by a benefic planet. Um, and that might might actually bring us to our next sign, our final one, which is which is Scorpio, and just the contrast to Scorpio, which is a water sign, which is interesting because the water sign, it's a fixed sign, but it's a fixed water sign, and it's ruled by Mars. And uh, one of the things it makes me think of is 
one of the things I think Taurus from a lot of the things we're bringing up would probably struggle with the most is like the notion of impermanence that um, Taurus, a lot of the keywords we're talking about, like the exact opposite keyword that would cover like a lot of different things that we're talking about would be the notion of impermanence and the notion that things don't last or that all things eventually fade away in some sense. And there's something about that notion, I think, that Scorpio ends up either willingly or not willingly needing to sort of adapt itself and to understand on some intrinsic level and even dwell on is the notion of impermanence being like a necessary and continual and regular like part of life. Yeah, no, I love that you bring that up because I think of the fact that, you know, the moon has fallen in Scorpio and Mars does really well in Scorpio. And then, you know, Venus isn't as happy in Scorpio. But again, I come back to the triplicity piece because I feel like there's something about having these um, really heavy um, experiences around, you know, being deprived of, you know, things you need, things that make you feel comfortable, things that um, make you feel good that, so I guess like grappling with that is something that I guess different people in different parts of the human experience eventually like come to accept. And I feel like that's one way that the triplicity of those um, fallen and exiled placements play out. But I do think that there's this sense with Scorpio of realizing that I would argue that Scorpio and Capricorn both share this, that change is inevitable. Um, but Capricorn's more of the like cardinal version of that whereas like scorpio is like the fixed version of that and you know by and i find that like mars and water signs compared to like mars and fire signs which is more offensive it's more defensive and i would say scorpio is like you know your best offense is a good defense like so and i find that scorpio has this ability to I guess embrace like discomfort or deprivation and use that to strengthen itself. Whereas I feel like um, Taurus in comparison can be a little complacent, complacent and like get easily unmoored when things don't go very well. Yeah. I, I, one of the words that often gets associated with Scorpio is intensity. And I think it, it comes up with, various Scorpio placements, but I've especially noticed that when people are describing Venus and the moon in Scorpio, which is, you know, the, the, they're in their detriment and fall respectively there. And I think it does come from that impermanence, right? Perhaps it's either because you know things aren't going to last and so you really want to like enjoy it and experience it to the fullest. Maybe it could also come from a stubbornness of like refusing to, you know, believe in that and really want to try to just like possessively hold on for as long as possible. Right. One of the things that makes me think of, and I think this might be connected to as part of the underlying archetype is what we're seeing here is a contrast again in the seasons and especially in, in the Northern Hemisphere where the tropical zodiac originated and many of our meanings for the signs originated. But you know, Taurus is the middle of the spring season and is ruled by Venus, and it's really celebrating the beauty of life, of you know, being in that new phase in the middle of spring, just after all of the plants or like flowers have not just sprouted during Aries, but have come into full bloom and are at the middle and the sort of peak of their vibrancy and beauty by being at that sort of perfect middle stage of maturity when they're at their most vibrant and beautiful. 
um, versus Scorpio is the exact opposite end of the year. And so it's right in the middle of the fall season. And it's instead celebrating like the beauty of, of death in some sense, when all of the leaves on the trees by the middle of the fall season are, you know, dying and starting to wilt. They're like still on the, the trees, but they're right in the middle of that process of, of the plants like going through that natural process of letting go of and sort of releasing or sort of dying in some sense in terms of that yearly cycle but it's still being you know during the autumn season kind of beautiful and all of the trees you know turning these different shades of like orange and red and everything else and there being something still really um yeah beautiful about that yeah it's really striking um what's funny is that um fall is one of my favorite seasons just because i love the the contrast between you know, all the different colors of, um, you know, the leaves on the trees. Um, I feel like another, and I, that for some reason that like triggered this thought in me in like the relationship between, um, Scorpio and Taurus in terms of conformity, I feel like, um, Scorpio is not afraid to, you know, stick out like a sore thumb and like fight for like its own self-interest. Whereas like Taurus maybe doesn't necessarily want to rock the boat. A little more. I think there are like differences in their approach to conflict that um, are very um, loud to me. Yeah, I think you were describing earlier when we were talking about fighters, right? Like the difference between a Mars and Taurus versus a Mars and Scorpio, where that Scorpio is going to be. Um, what? Do you, how did you describe it? It was like it, I think it's a little more offensive. Like yeah. it's more persistent and it's offensive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think on the not wanting to rock the boat, I, I'm really hoping I get this chart correctly, but I believe Catherine the Great has Mars in Taurus, and she got power and became Empress of Russia after because she um, she led a coup against her husband, who was the emperor, but she did it by over several years befriending all of the top generals of Russia, and, and it ended up being a, very, a completely bloodless coup. Here it is. So she had yeah. the sun at 11 Taurus and Mars at seven degrees of Taurus. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I like that. So she she befriended the generals and then was able to take over through a bloodless coup, you said? Yes. Nice. Um, yeah. So so maybe that's part of the contrast then is like Mars and Taurus and like learn, knowing how to win by being nice versus Scorpio or Mars and Scorpio. Mm -hmm being willing to go dark or being willing to play dirty and being uh, having an openness to the dark, darker side of things, which is then sometimes on the other flip side of the coin why Venus and Scorpio then gets the reputation that it does sometimes because like I always think of like Venus and Scorpio as like the goth placement, which is like finding aesthetic appreciation in th <laughs> things that are dark or that most people would consider dark or or morbid or something like that. Yeah, and I will say I think the the thing that they both of these signs share is a a willingness, you know, to be in the long haul, you know, like whether it is going to be, you know, um, fighting or befriending generals. Like it's like, oh, I, this is a long game. Mm, right. Yeah, I find that like something I noticed that both Taurus and Scorpio have in common that like, like you were saying, it's like the ride or die friend or like, this is my sworn enemy. Like it's, it's very, um, 
I find that I don't really see this as much with um, Leo and Aquarius for some reason, but there's something about the Taurus Scorpio axis where um, it seems like, you know, the relationships that they form are very like much I'm in this for the long haul, but also like the enemies that they form. That's like, it's going to take a lot for me to change my opinion of you. And it's, it's just very interesting. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, so that the commonality of just like sticking with it and and the um, unwillingness to, or yeah, lack lack of flexibleness or wanting to change necessarily once something is like predefined as a as a like or as a dislike, I guess that's something we haven't focused on enough or as much here because we've tended to focus more on Taurus's um, acute sense of of figuring out what it's like and sticking with it. But part of that that we maybe haven't focused on enough is that also includes by necessity sometimes having very clearly defined dislikes and like things that it does not like doing and that those are also just as like fixed or they can just be just as stubborn about those um, as the things that they like. Oh, I think I'm more stubborn about those. Like I oh, refuse same. to, I, I will never, ever give horror movies a chance again, ever since, you know, I try enough was enough in like, you know, high school days, like I'm, I'm never going to watch another one again. Um, no, I'm just thinking about a conversation I had with my sister yesterday about, I think she told me to try like peeling the chocolate off of like, I think Pocky sticks or something and just eating the bread. I just feel like it's also her being Saturnian because she's a very Saturnian person. And I was just like, that's blasphemy. I'm never doing that. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, that's like a deal breaker. No. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, and with the, the horror movies, that's a really good example because that's something of, you know, with the Taurus Scorpio contrasts, but, um, you know, focusing on dark things. That maybe not everybody likes versus maybe Taurus focusing on lighter things that are then almost by necessity things that are more generally agreed upon, which then brings us back around to that like signification we were talking about earlier of the idea of something being basic. And maybe part of the reason is just that it's something, it's basic because it's something that's more safe and more like widely viewed as like commonly acceptable or commonly pleasing in some ways. And that's why it gains that sort of reputation and, and as being something then that Taurus tends to gravitate towards. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I will I refuse to watch horror movies, but I will watch all of the dating reality TV shows <laughs> and have a nice. lot to say about them. <laughs> right. Oh damn. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, those are all really good contrasts. I mean, I don't think there's anything else. I mean, with Aries, that does bring up that Aries was much more sporty of a sign and like sports are something that we really brought up as a very major Aries thing. I don't know that that's as much necessarily of a Taurus thing that I would immediately jump to associating um, with Taurus. So that might be a contrast of, yeah, um, of that because Aries is more of the Mars type using the body in order to have movement and like force and sometimes like conflict or or fighting, but there being um, interesting or good things that can come out of tension or the release of tension, whereas Taurus seems to be more about the things that can sometimes be done with the body or that has to do with the senses that are enjoyable without necessarily being things that are like harsh or 
hard to do, but instead it's the opposite of things that are like easy to do or things that are, are can be enjoyed in a more passive sense. Yeah, I think one of maybe perhaps why you don't really think about tourists when it comes to sports is with the reality of the way our sports world is set up right now, and some of this is capitalism too, for sure, but the athletes, you know, professional athletes aren't professional athletes their whole lives for the most part. Like depending on the sport, right, they could start as young as like elementary school age and they've already peaked by 21. And I could see why, you know, someone with more Aries placements could do like quite well with that. Whereas when I think about Taurus, again, I think of that like longevity. I think of Muhammad Ali is like actually a really perfect example that. Yeah, I also think that um, contrasting with Aries and probably Scorpio as well, there's like less of this focus on like power and it's more about like the aesthetic of your form. And I feel like certain types of athletic forms that emphasize like form for some reason i think of like being a ballerina or like doing yoga or something because there's something about like being able to structure yourself in a form that's you know somewhat aesthetically pleasing but it's still challenging to do but like you have to like constantly work at it to achieve that kind of like perfect form that kind of stands out to me so i think it would be stuff that's not necessarily like about competition but seeing to what extent you can push your body to if that makes sense mm, i like that perfection of form as like an underlying or overarching taurus concept and the desire to achieve some sort of perfection of form mm -hmm. yeah yeah it kind of makes me think of how like george lucas always gets um criticized for like he keeps like going back to the Star Wars movies and like re-editing them and like trying to improve them with like things that he couldn't do with like special effects in the 70s and 80s. But he keeps going back and like retinkering with them because he's never happy that they're like perfect or like fit his vision of like the perfect form of those movies. Um, whereas everyone else is just like, no, leave it alone. Like it was fine <laughs> back then. Just let it go. Your your mention of aesthetic form reminded me. Michelle Kwan has some tourist placements oh, as yeah. well. The figure like skater, figure skating, and she, yeah. you know, for a professional athlete too, she had quite a long career. Like I think she did a number of different Olympics. Okay. Yeah, I believe. I think she, if I recall, I think she has Moon in Taurus. And yeah, that looks correct from Astro Data Bank. So Virgo rising with moon in Taurus in the ninth house. Yeah. And she, yeah, she competed for, she competed for like professionally for over 10 years. That's a pretty big deal as far as the Olympic world goes. Yeah. Oh, I thought of another figure skater, um, a really decorated Canadian skater. Um, what's her name? Tessa Virtue. She's a Taurus son. Um, she had a long figure skating career with uh her skiing partner, Scott Moyer, like they skated for 22 years. Like it was crazy. Um, yeah. Um, all right. Are there any other like major, major things that we didn't mention or major keywords or topics for Taurus that we're going to kick ourselves for not mentioning um, if we don't at this point? I feel like we're good. I don't know about you, pal, but I think we hate everything. I think so, too. I, I can't think of anything else. Did I read off of this paragraph? It was like early on. Um, 
I mean, I know we've covered like most of this, but it's like steady, sturdy, grounded, stable, contented, comfortable, creative, loyal, gentle, routine, patient, strong-willed, stubborn, practical, down-to-earth, reliable, independable. Yeah, I feel like we covered a lot of these. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I think we are in um, pretty good shape then. And we, we've got, I think we, this is pretty good. We got to get some pretty deep stuff about Taurus and like the underlying meanings, as well as a lot of like the individual significations and the way that that shows up. Um, it's always tricky because, you know, that's the nature of an archetype is like an archetype is this transcendent idea, this overarching umbrella concept that can't be fully articulated. All you can do is articulate some of the many different manifestations of that that are individual things. But I think we did a pretty good job today of getting as high or as like close to that archetype as we possibly could and, and getting to some pretty deep points in that. So yeah, thank you both a lot for, for joining me and doing this with me today. No, thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So you two, you said you're in the middle of doing a series right now in on your podcast on the planetary joys. Yes, we were actually, you know, we were supposed to film the um, Venus enjoying in the fifth house tomorrow. But because this came up, we're going to reschedule it. I don't know if we could handle two podcasts in a row. Yeah. Also, my gut is that it's probably going to be one of those things that where Venus is like, release me when I'm in Taurus. (laughs) I have a strong feeling it's going to be that. Um, Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it works out. But Yes, we're in the middle of that. We started with Mercury in that series. So we've, we have an episode already out on Mercury and the moon. We'll do Venus next and then just continue in that order. Cool. And so the URL for where you host your podcast is anchor.fm slash fixed astropod, or people can just Google fixed astrology podcast and it'll come up and you can listen on Spotify or any of the other major podcast platforms. And then you also have a uh, Twitter page for your, where people can follow you and get news and updates, which is twitter.com slash fixed astropod, right? Yeah. It's cool. just Twitter and, um, oh my God, I'm blanking the previous site. Um, yeah. Anchor FM. Anchor, Anchor. Anchor FM. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. keep thinking last FM, but like, no, <laughs> that's music. <laughs> Cool. Uh, yeah. So people should check that out to get more and listen more to your podcast as you go through that, as well as to listen to your back catalog. And then each of you has individual consulting websites and do consultations and other things in the field of astrology, right? Right. So you could find me on Twitter and Instagram and my website. It's all called Pow Astrology. So that's P A O S T R O L O G Y.com, Pow Astrology. I, my readings have been closed since August of last year because I moved. I was in the middle of job hunting and I have been here in New York now for a little under two months. So I'm still getting settled in, but definitely follow me on Twitter, go on my website, and um, I will have an email newsletter sign up up very soon, probably by the release of this podcast episode where you could sign up to receive my emails and if you sign up, you'll be the first to find out if and when I reopen my readings. Cool. All right. And how about you, Mo? So I finally stopped procrastinating and I used Venus's parting gift in um, 
Pisces, but also the eclipse to uh, launch my website finally. Um, so I am at australtour.com. So that's A-U-S-T-R-A-L-T-A-U-R.com. And yeah, I just plan on plugging more of my serious astrology thoughts um, on the blog there. I am taking clients for consultation, um, but, you know, get on my mailing list first because yeah, I'm still a grad student and I have other things to do. And then I'm also Austral Tour on Twitter as well. So yeah. Cool. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And I'll put links to all of your websites uh, down below in the description below this video on YouTube or on the podcast website. So people can check that out there um, to check out your work. And yeah, you've been doing a great job with the podcast. So I'm excited to see the rest of the series on the joys. And then where are you going to go after that? Like, what's your next step once you finish the joys? Do you think? Have you got any long term plans? We talked about the triplicities, right? Because I Noah feel like, talking about them. Yes. But then also, like, because, like, the way we're doing the joys is like we're killing the planet and the houses with two stones, like, we're killing two birds with one stone. I know we did want to do, like, the houses that don't have like planetary joys um but then yeah i feel like right now we're on a weird like essential and accidental dignity kick for now um yeah <laughs> i don't know awesome yeah that then just like a blend of like modern and, and traditional astrology is is your basically essentially both of your approaches yeah yeah exactly mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Well, people should check that out. Um, and I guess that's it for this episode on Taurus. So, so thanks again, both of you, for joining me for this. No, thanks Thank for, having, for us. having us. All right. Thanks, everyone, for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. That's it for this episode on Taurus. And I will be back again next month for an episode eventually on Gemini as the next sign in this series. So thanks a lot for watching, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on Patreon.com. In particular, thanks to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Morgan McKinsey, and Kristen Otero, if you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons, or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code AstroPodcast15 to get a 15% discount on that as well.
If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline uh, basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com slash book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called the Hellenistic Astrology Course, which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. Also, special thanks to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and the Astrogold Astrology app, which is available for both iPhone and Android at astrogold.io. There are also two major astrology conferences happening this year. The first is the Northwest Astrological Conference, happening May 26th through the 30th, 2022, near Seattle, Washington. Find out more information at norwak.net. And the second is the International Society for Astrological Research Conference, which is taking place August 25th through the 29th, 2022, in Westminster, Colorado. And you can find out more information about that at isar2022.org.